morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle Lawson. Lawson, how are you today? What are you thankful for? Oh, let's see. What am I thankful for? Look, I'll just say this. There's some, there's just good, good things happening in my life. Just good. Oh. Really good, just really good things. Uh, um, so there's really good things happening in Lawson's life that he's not going to share with us. It's not, it's not a person. Just, ah, just come on, come on. I'm sorry. No, but you had us, you had us all on the edge of our seat there no, for a moment, Lawson. We had high hopes for you now that they've been dashed. I, I just got to say, like, God is really good. God is yes. really good, and I think that He always op- opens up opportunities for you to work for Him if you ask Him. If you Absolutely. ask him, if you make yourself available to be used by him, he will use you. And that's just kind of what I'm going through in my life at the moment and just working some stuff out. And I'm sure I can talk about it a little bit later uh, on when things are sorted out. But, yeah, I'm just so grateful um, to God for giving me awesome opportunities. So, yeah, that I know, I know I'm being a bit secretive, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I'll, we'll talk about it later. What are you grateful for, Lyle? Okay, so uh, I'm grateful that on the in the car on the way into work this morning, uh, my wife and I had a conversation about buying a baby seat. Oh, oh, that is that is something to be <laughs> not really for us. Grateful not for, for us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're not having a baby. <laughs> not for us. Just in case you're wondering, for our grandchild. Ah, that's so cute. Yeah. So she's about three weeks away, thereabouts. Oh, um, so we're probably going to start setting dates and see who can pick the closest date to the. Uh, the actual birth, see what happens right there. You know, but, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty confident. I, I want to enter this competition. Is okay. there a prize? Yeah, I believe there will be, but we haven't um, decided what it is yeah. yet. I'm all about winning prizes, so it'll be just super lame. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, let's talk about some positively different news. And Lyle, yes, it's happening. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I say that every time. Every there's time. some kind of Something update, uh-huh, some kind uh-huh, of technological uh-huh. advancement. Okay. So currently, like the big, the big fad, not the big fad, but yeah, a big shift has been um, the kind of compacting of technology. And this has been happening for a long time. It was actually really interesting that, like, particularly when mobile phones come on the scene, you had like things like the Nokia 33. Te- well, you had the car phone, and then the yes, and they got smaller and smaller and smaller, and, smaller and now they're getting bigger and, and bigger now they're getting bigger, 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 bigger right? They yes. got and when you had the ones that had like you know one to nine with all the letters and stuff on it, like yeah, and I had one that was about the size of a credit card, just thicker. Yeah, but they've got e- they got even smaller than that. Like they got just really, really tiny, and then we started to value screen space because we realized the whole phone could be a screen. Yes, and then they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, though, I feel like over the last maybe I would say five, six, seven years, the kind of compacting of technology has continued again because of the introduction of the smartwatch. Things like Fitbit, Garmin, Apple Watch, all these things, and now people are trying to like shrink down and get smaller and smaller and smaller. Like, what can we fit into this? And thing? still make it usable. And still make it usable, of course, because you know you can have a Casio uh, calculator watch, but all you'll do is beat buttons and <laughs> calculate. Um, whereas you know a modern smartwatch just like can do everything. Romance, a phone call. When I was in high school, I had a friend that had a calculator watch. Yeah. And it was like we all thought it was the coolest thing on the 
planet. It was like, and it was a major threat to the teachers because he could cheat in mathematics class. Wow. And of course, our teachers were saying, "You need to learn how to do maths without a calculator because you won't always have a calculator in the in your pocket." And obviously, how wrong were they? How wrong were they? Um, But oh, check this out. So basically, the biggest limiting factor, pretty much of any uh, technology, but particularly of microtechnology, is the its battery capacity. Like, is its ability yes. to, to stay running. Yes, um, particularly so. when you have something so compact. Uh-huh. If you make a battery that's super powerful and compact, then it becomes quite dangerous. Yes. Um, and so they're trying to work out, okay, what can we do? And guess what, Lyle? They are powering smartwatches now by sweat. By sweat. <laughs> by sweat, Lyle. This is the greatest thing ever. Basically, dude, this is so cool. I read by about sweat. this and I, again, I was like, it's happening. Um, essentially, a group of scientists led by Associate Professor Isao uh, Shitanda in Tokyo University, um, in the Tokyo University of Science in Japan, have been exploring different ways, you know, to come up with power sources for microtechnology. And what they've, the route that they've gone down is, oh, let's make a sweat-powered smartwatch. Like this is this is what we're going to do. And Obviously, the stage they're at now is that they haven't actually implemented in a watch, but they're seeing how much power they can make from sweat. They're making a bio cell, a bio electricity cell mm-hmm. um, that basically absorbs sweat and turns it into energy. So here's a piece of here's, here's an interesting thought. I've been thinking about this. Right, mm-hmm. what they need to do is because we have wireless charging now, right? Yeah. Okay, so what they need to invent is a way of wireless charging everything just from the electricity that is in the air. So when you're driving down the road, mm. if you're driving, you know, if there are underground cables, if there are overhead cables, that your your car and your devices will just automatically charge from it. Okay, that's pretty genius. I think it's amazing. But but think about it. Like, I'd like somebody to invent it. Wireless charging. So I can use it. But wireless charging would have to be connected to something. It's connected to the electricity in the air. Yeah, but like, yeah, right, but like right, could right. it be? But this is okay, this I'm going to get point. in trouble for not being an engineer again. <laughs> That's okay. But this is the mind. thing is that some engineers, some smart people have come together and they've made a fuel cell that absorbs sweat. sweat. And that's amazing. <laughs> that's like, just fantastic. This is great. So essentially it kind of works. Like it has like sheets of paper um, on top of each other and through like, uh, the capillary method of like bleeding through yep. these pieces of paper, they catch energy and convert it, like catch sweat and convert it into energy. Um, and it's just the coolest thing ever. I've been reading about it. Uh, at, at the moment, they're obviously not making a ton of energy, but they're improving like every single day, coming up with new methods, new kind of um, new, yeah, ways in which they can. Uh, build and organize the the paper and everything and and they're getting increases day on day at the moment um it this was a quote from uh dr shitanda he said in our experiments our paper-based biofuel cells could generate a voltage of 3.66 volts and a power output of 3.4 uh milliwatts uh to our best knowledge this power is significantly higher than that of any previous lactate-based biofuel cells. Okay, so that's really cool. Will it charge the lithium battery in your watch or will the watch just run off your sweat? Because I'm sort of worried that if I'm not being active, I won't be producing enough sweat to keep my watch going. That's the thought that I had. 
And now, or could you could you just dip your hand in water and your watch comes back to life? I, will this it work is, off? Will it work off water, or is, does it really need sweat? You know, with all the different you know, like salts and toxins. Worst comes to worst situation, Lyle. Mm. You have to go to the toilet and pee on it, and then it gets going again. Hey. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty gross. Awesome. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this is the breakfast show. <laughs> but hey, I, I'm thinking these things through. Okay, these are the thoughts that come to my mind. I, well, actually, that's a very re- valid thought because if sweat can create electricity, then surely other fluids yeah. could be more effective at creating electricity. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can recycle those other fluids into making electricity rather than just sending it to wherever we send yeah. it. <laughs> to the ocean. Use it for electricity. Yeah, 100%. Well, look, I am looking forward to a world where nothing has to be charged anymore. I, like, it is the bane of my existence to fall asleep listening to a podcast and wake up in the morning and realize that my phone's not charged. So hopefully, uh, things <laughs> get the just... bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> so When it happens to Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And then I'm not here. Okay, so You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith uh, FM. Positively just, different. Just terrible is when people pick on the disabled. Yeah. Particularly the severely disabled. There's pretty much pretty much not much lower than picking on somebody mm. who is severely disabled. And Nick Vujicic is just one such person, severely disabled. He uh, has yeah. just founded a pro-life bank. So this is interesting. So there's a bank where you go and bank your money and so forth. And the reason he did this was he found that 90% of banks in the United States... Uh, support um, support abortion, and that he wanted to have a bank where people could go and bank their money that did not support abortion. So he founded the Pro Life Bank, and fifty percent of the profits of this bank will be going to uh, save the lives of the unborn. And he kind of sees it as being a little bit like a Noah's Ark, where people can you know go for safety. Mm. Um, and he, you know, in doing so, he's pointed out that 23% of the United States population is killed before birth, mm. which is a massive chunk. Yeah. And the figures here in Australia are just slightly higher than that. I think it's like 24, 25% here in Australia. About one in four uh, babies are aborted here in Australia before they go through to birth. Well, since announcing the founding of this bank, um, oh, and by the way, of course, you know, these massive amount of abortions. You know they should they, they they should result in you know and we've got to look at the purpose for them. Why are we doing this? We're doing this to make the world a better place. We're doing this to avoid poverty. We're doing this to avoid mental illness, and uh, so the world should be a better place as a result of you know taking the lives of a quarter of our children before they are born. Uh, my question is: Has mental health improved in the last? you know, 30, 40 years? Mm. Uh, has poverty decreased in the last 30, 40 years? Of course, the answer is obviously no. And so, you know, we've got enough decades under our belt right now to know that this is not working, so let's move on from this. But, of course, Nick Vujicic is severely disabled himself. He has no arms and he has no legs. He was born that way and uh, uh, has been a Christian evangelist for the last 20 years or so. Um, I've really appreciated many of the message that, messages that he has presented. 
And, uh, you know, when I look at somebody like that, he's the kind of person that typically they would look at in the womb and say, well, this, um, this baby has no arms, no legs, and, and it, abortion would be automatically recommended in today's world, and we would have missed out on all that he has contributed to the world. Mm. And now, of course, he's founding this bank. Of course, since announcing the founding of the bank, um, he's had a grenade uh, thro- thrown into his house, didn't explode. Um, like a live grenade yes, that a, didn't explode. He's had a false article written in a magazine saying that he fired one of his staff members for being gay. He's had an international lawsuit launched against him and then withdrawn because it was rubbish. He's had der- drones harassing his house and he's been kicked out of another bank. So there you go. Pick on somebody who has no arms and no legs. Yeah. Wow. Way to go. Way to show your colours right there. That's so intense. Anyway, this is a continuation of a story that I was dealing with yesterday. We're going to move on to this one now. Mm. And this is dealing with, uh, of course, gender dysphoria and the social contagion that is resulting from gender dysphoria. Uh, And this is interesting because there was a study from the 1990s that actually showed that mothers of gender dysphoric children, so this is back in the 1990s before the the, the, the social contagion that we have today took place, all had cluster B personality disorders and were disposed to child abuse. Mm. That's interesting. But we've pointed this out before. In 2007, there was one gender clinic uh, in the United States. Now there's 300. Um, Planned Parenthood, I haven't talked about this one before, gives testosterone to any child on their first visit. Mm. With no parental note required, no parental consent required, and children in some states in the US can then go on to have a double mastectomy with no permission from the parents and not even so much as a note from a psychiatrist or a psychologist, just on their own say-so. They can just walk in and say, I'd like to have a double mastectomy, and they get one. I mean, this is permanent, life-altering stuff right here. And so you kind of wonder, what's the purpose of doctors? Mm-hmm. If you can self-diagnose, what's the purpose of having a doctor? Yeah, well. You know, we warn people all the time, don't go to Dr. Google and don't self-diagnose. But if you're gender dysphoric, of course, we will believe anything you say. Mm. Now, gender dysphoria is very uncommon, about 0.01%. That's about 1 in 10,000 males uh, suffer from uh, gender dysphoria. And with males, it usually... Uh, takes place in the two to four age bracket, and seventy percent of them are going to grow out of it. Mm. So that makes that you know figure infinitely smaller. Uh, but now we have this social contagion that is taking place amongst teen girls, and we you know we give them puberty blockers, which is as we mentioned yesterday, is what we used to use for criminals. Mm. And a hundred percent, or just under a hundred percent, who go on puberty blockers cross over to. So, uh, to, to cross-sex hormones, which are going to do permanent damage. You're not going to be able to have children. Your body's not going to develop properly. 90% of these girls are going to regret it later, um, and it's going to do damage you know, just for, from then on. And uh, this is a new population. Teen girls is a new population. Prior to 2007, gender dysphoria amongst teen girls was unknown. Mm. No literature on it. Nothing whatsoever. It just simply didn't exist. Gender dysphoria was between, was in in two to four year old males. That was that was most of whom grew up to become you know gay men. But that was that was pretty much where it came from. Mm. Okay, 
since since 2007, there has been a 4,400% rise in gender dysphoria in the UK um, amongst teen girls. And basically what this is, is the new social contagion that has replaced anorexia and bulimia. Mm. And so it's nothing new that, you know, teen girls, mm. they hit the teens, the hormones start to flow, they feel uncomfortable, they feel insecure, they don't like their bodies, uh, they wonder whether anyone can love them, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in the past that has resulted in anorexia or bulimia, eating disorders, those kind of things. Well, the new fad that is um, coming out now is that they have they can achieve immediate celebrity status by claiming another gender. Mm. And... Uh, um, and currently, as a result of that, we're dealing with the highest rates of depression and self-harm that have ever existed. So teen girls are super vulnerable to social contagions. Uh, there's nothing new about that. You know, teen girls you know, hurting their bodies and those kind of things, and they, they grow out of it. We, we understand that. Um, they can gain this immediate celebrity status. They can stick it to their parents if they, you know, teen girls ob- often struggle with their parents. Uh, and, of course, you've got social media influencers out there who are specifically targeting this particular group and telling them constantly that transitioning is going to cure all their problems. Mm. And so what we have now, um, we have some girls' schools in the United States where 30% of the Year 7 class is claiming that they are transgender. Mm. 30%. I mean, this has just never happened before, and there is no science to explain that, nothing. Um, And so, yeah, we've got a major problem right here, and as parents, I think as parents we really need to know what's going on. We need to understand that, you know, this this is a terrible, terrible contagion that is taking place, and we need to be parents to our children, and they have a right to be protected uh, from, you know, the world in which we live, and as parents we have a requirement to give that protection. Heavy story here this morning, but an important one to talk about. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Joining us on the phone this morning to talk about his journey of faith is John Rogers. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, John, we were chatting uh, a week or so ago, and you have quite a remarkable story over a reasonable amount of time. There's certainly been a few different adventures there along the way, and God has done some amazing things in your life. But let's go back to the beginning. Where does your story start? Tell us about where you're from and tell us about your family. Okay. Well, I was born in England, in North England, in Yorkshire, in the hospital Isborough. But my mother was already married to somebody else when she married my father. And I was born, and the chances of us being born, uh, I don't know the mathematics for it, but you know it. That makes me me and you you, but it's millions to one because there's so many choices. And the, the thing is, is that to make this story run as quick as I can, my mother's husband found her. And uh, then it came before the courts, and the judge says that I was to be put into a home until I was 18. And that home was a Catholic orphanage in a little place called Mintsfield in the Cotswold Hills. 
and it was a glorious place. Yes, I've been to the Cotswolds. It's a lovely area. What was it, oh. what was it like living, I mean, apart from uh, the beautiful environment that you're in, uh, yeah. what was it like growing up in an orphanage? Well, I, I can remember one night lying in the in the dormitory, we used to call it, on these um, piped beds in black, and I was just thinking to myself, oh, God, all these people, these children in here with me, they haven't got a mum or dad either. I said, that's terrible. Now, I don't remember too much after that, but, I mean, I can remember everything about that convent. I mean, I can be blindfolded and take you on a, on a guided tour. You just never forget but I remember I used to clean all the statues for the nuns, and I got very close to one nun, and because she was different, I was, like, magnetized to her. And I was wondering, what's different about her? She really loves me. And she did everything to look after me. Everybody thought that she was spoiling me. She'd take me for long walks, and I'd hold the torch, and we'd pray. We'd talk to Jesus on the way. It was about one and a half miles there and one and a half miles back. And she took me for a walk every week. And, and I had the torch and we'd both pray. Now, the thing about that is, is that something really strange happened that night. She took me home, put me to bed, and she prayed for me. And she said, she said, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will help you and enable you. And, you know, as, as I went down into that bed, I, I remember... This joy I had never known before in my life. Never, ever known anything like it. And I would have been about six or seven. And I remember saying this prayer, Father, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. And I must have dropped off to sleep. Early next morning, about two o'clock in the morning, there were no lights in Nymphsfield. There was no street lights. It was just black. We just had those little kerosene lamps. There was no electricity. And I can remember two green eyes sitting in the middle of the dormitory. I thought, what's that? It must be a cat. But it was the same height as I was. No, that is. Put that together. And I walked over it going, yeah, puss, 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 puss. And, and I must have got about three foot away from it. And somebody came, turned me around and put me back into bed again. Now, I don't know who that was. Mm. I didn't see anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. But it was it was just like God sent his angels to look after you. Yes. And as a young boy, out, out, I used to go out in the meadow and in the fields just to talk with God. And nobody ever asked, where is Johnny Rogers? That's that was my first a, touch with God. That's a remarkable experience there, um, John that uh, you know, as a young boy, as a young kid, God is reaching out to you through the through the nun there in the convent, and you're having yep. an amazing experience. As you grow up and become a teenager, yep. does that connection? Do you maintain that connection with God all the way through? No, only on occasions. Now, when I came out to Australia, we were out in the bush, and uh, everybody picked on me because I had an English accent, and so they all wanted to fight me. And I remember. The whole school turned out to watch this fight because they reckoned it'd be good to see me put down. And I hadn't really done anything to them because I was a very quiet person. And I prayed to God. I said, God, I don't think I can beat this bloke, but I pray that you will help me. And, you know, 
it was very strange. The, the people was in that park was unbelievable. There were almost crowds there. And this bloke come up and he just said, I'm going to beat you up today. And, you know, in 20 minutes, he never laid a hand on me. Wow, praise God. I, I became so fast, they just thought, what we're seeing is not happening. And I remember walking away from there saying, you did that, God, didn't you? Mm. So just backing up a little bit from there and, you know, for, for what God did there, but how did you end up, you're growing up in an orphanage, how did you end up coming to Australia and how old were you when you came to Australia? Okay, well, I was I, I turned 11 when I came here. And uh, we we went to a little place called Fairbridge Farm School for about six months. And then my dad and my stepmother, um, see, he'd married again. Yes. And, uh, and then he brought us out here. And we went from Sydney to Adelaide to Alice Springs to Catherine to Darwin to Cairns, and we ended up at Longreach. That would be an, a now, remarkable adventure for uh, a young lad who grew up oh, in the Cotswolds. Well, one one minute you're standing in snow, and the next minute you're standing in 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 talcum powder, red bulldust. Yes, and it comes up to your ankles. Yes, it is. And I've got photographs of it. It was absolutely. What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> it is just. I said I've never seen anything like this before. And I remember a horse just standing there in the, catching the last of the sun as it went down, just standing there, and he seemed so content. And I thought, I love that contentness. Yes. That's what I went out in the fields to see the cattle because they just sit there and look at me. And I talk to God. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna jump in and say, you know, you had you've had this experience as a young lad in the orphanage. Yeah. Then you've had this experience here in Australia, where God has saved you from, you know, a bullying situation. At what yes. point? Where is the Where is the point where you make that final commitment to God? Where? Okay. Yes. Let's let's jump forward to that. Right. But, well, you know, as I look back in my life, I thought I was chasing God somewhere along the line, and I was wondering when it would ever come to a hand-in-hand experience, and I found that it wasn't me chasing God. It was God chasing me. Yes. He ran He ran me down until I got to the point that I was so sick of myself. I'd gone into radio. I wasn't living a good life, and I heard somebody over in a church singing just across the road from the flats that I used to stay in, and I remember getting out of bed, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning, and I, and I knelt down on this side, this other bed, and I said, Lord, those people over there in that church say you change lives. Well, if you want my life, you can have it, because I, I can't do anything with it. I just can't do anything right. If you can make a difference with me, take me as I am, and instantly... I jumped up into the air, and I thought, said, it's happened. It's happened. It's happened. And I went, I just couldn't believe the change in me. Now, that was 50 years ago. I'm yeah. 70 now, and, and I'm still walking with him. Praise God. That's a, that's a long period of time to be walking with Jesus and to be... And Absolutely. Be you and know, that- this, world, this world is a mess. And, and it's got its hassles. 
and it's life is messy. But when you face up to it, what else can we expect? But when you find that you have Jesus living in you, he gives you the ability to live the life that he wants you to live. Because I, I couldn't do it, but he could. Mm, mm. Yes, absolutely. That's, what, that, that, that's my deduction. Uh-huh. Throughout that 50-year period, you know, the last 50 yep. years since you since you made that full commitment to Jesus Christ, yes. have you had opportunities to share Jesus with others in your work absolutely. and what you've been doing? Yeah, let, yeah. tell us all about I, it. Well, I, I walk the streets here, and uh, I found a bloke here just the other day. He was just sitting outside the pub, and I, I don't know why I'm very spontaneous sort of a chap. And I just said, did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, he mentioned three words? Do you know what they were just before he died? He, he, he come out of the pub to have a cigarette, and he was sitting there on the... Um, on the, on the uh, stool at the, at the side, and there, he says, I wouldn't have a clue. I said, well, let me tell you. He said, it is finished. Now, what did he finish? Do you know what that is? He says, no. And I said, well, you should know, because you're going into the pub here to get your your self medication to make you feel good about how you how you're living and what's going on in your life. I said, but you realise that he came to take away all your sin, but you've got to repent. You've got to turn your back on what you're doing. He looked up at me and he said, I never heard it put that way before. And I said, Well that's what God is all about. He wants you to know this. Praise and God. so you know, that's putting in very little things, but that's been my message to I've spoken to so many people, and I, I even have led a few to, through to the Lord, and it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to look back, back on. But I think that, you know, like I went for a trip to see my stepmother, and it, it's, it's an all-night trip in a train, and I spoke to eight people in full detail about their souls. And the last one I spoke to says, you're freaking me out. And I said, why am I freaking you out? He said, well, I had dinner with a friend of mine last night. And he told me the same thing, that I need to repent. Wow. The Holy Spirit was certainly reaching out to that man. Well, I, well, I said to him, I think God is on your case. That's right. Chasing him down. He wants you. And he's not, I can still remember his name. This was five years ago. Christopher. Look, he was one bloke that it was like chips in the night. I never ever saw him again, but the Holy Spirit had prepared his heart and he was really, really going through it. So I, I was just thankful to be able to share those things, you know. that's uh, And I was so red hot. It must take me about an hour, two hours to calm down when I got, got to uh, my, step, my stepmother's place. John, we don't have a lot of time left, but I understand no. that you spent some time on radio as well. Yes, when I retired, I've been a manager of the radio station um, in Kingaroy. You know, you just come on with your radio voice, say, this is John Rogers, and all the time hits 10, 1 a.m. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all do it, and we love to do it, and it's a, it's a gift. Yes. And I just love to communicate. Yeah, radio has been a real, a real journey for me, and I've met a lot of people and there are people living in England today because I worked there and, and he was at the end of himself and I was able to share with him the gospel. And I said, God's going to call you out of this place. 
you're going to take him somewhere that you don't even know. I said, just remember he is the author of it all. Yes, He's the one you're really looking for. He's going through a divorce. He was pretty unhappy. So I probably got him at a very fine-tuned moment, but, you know, that's the way it is. Mm. But it's great to share your faith. You know, otherwise you've got nothing to give away. (laughs) Well, John, you're an inspiration to all of our listeners this morning. You've got a great story to tell. God has done amazing things in your life. We praise God for what uh, he's done in your life. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Oh, thank you, Lyle. God bless you, mate. And and, and, uh, on your uh, radio breakfast show, a pleasure to share with you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.